Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. So we're continuing in our series, The Holy Spirit, a brief look at his power and ministry in our lives. And today we're concluding our our time in this series. We're concluding uh, with a look at this passage, Ephesians Chapter 5, 15 to 21, it was just read for us. The title of today's message is The Holy Spirit and the Christian Walk. Now, if you talk to someone and they love something, it doesn't take long for them to start talking about it. If you've talked to Pastor Yogi long enough, you know that he really loves the biblical truth of the Christian's new identity in Christ. See, the Bible talks about that so often. It calls us saints. It calls us children of God. It calls us beloved. It calls us new creation. And the reason why God wants us to know these things, why we have this new identity, is so that we can live consistently with it. See, God wants us to to see that And that's one of the major emphasis of the book of Ephesians. Over and over, Paul talks about how we have a new identity in Christ. And then throughout the remaining part of his letter, he wants us to live consistently with it. And that's what he calls walking. He gives us this image of a Christian who walks consistently before the Lord. Look at what Paul says throughout the book of Ephesians. He says this, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Identity, walking. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Again, identity. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to the Lord. And then finally, he says this, for you were once in darkness, but now you are in light in the Lord. Again, identity. And then walk as children of light. See, it's so important that Paul tells us not only that we should walk a certain way, but that we should pay careful attention. That's why he says in the passage we find ourselves, pay careful attention then to how you walk. So the question we might be asking is, why is it important that we pay careful attention to the way we walk? Well, here's a number of reasons. One, so that we can maintain the unity that God gives to his church. See, unity is a gift from God that he gives to us, and the way we walk before one another will either cause that unity to flourish or cause it to collapse. So we aren't deceived by the culture. 
so we can maintain our witness to the world. If we walk no differently than the rest of the world, how is our witness going to mean anything to them? And then finally, so we don't cause new believers to stumble. Now, this is an, an exhaustive list, but there's just a number of reasons why it's important that we walk a certain way and that we pay careful attention to how we walk. But if we're honest with ourselves, that's extremely hard. Why? Because there's so many things that come against us in our fight. Well, what comes against us? Our battle against the flesh, our battle against Satan, our battle against the culture, all of these things try to cause us to walk in a way that's contrary to the way that God had called us to walk. What we need to see is if we're going to walk in a way that pleases the Lord, that loves the other members of our church, that causes the light of the gospel to shine in the world so that they might see Christ, we need supernatural help. And we have that help. And that's the, the big takeaway of today's message, that the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary for the Christian walk. And that the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary for the Christian walk. And my aim for today's message is simply this, that we would grow in greater dependence on the Holy Spirit and his ministry in our lives. Because if we're going to have any hope in walking before the Lord in a way that he calls us to, we need his help. And I know we've just read the passage, but it's good for us to turn our attention again to the reading of God's word. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand the Lord, what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks Always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. See, Paul starts off in the passage that we find ourselves today in verse 15 saying, pay careful attention then to how you walk. But before Paul goes on to tell us how we can be careful, he wants wants us to be clear what it means to walk rightly before God. He wants to tell us what our walk should look at, look like. Look at verse 15. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Our walk before the Lord should be marked by wisdom. And the wisdom that God wants from us is that humility before the Lord. It's a wisdom that says, I'm going to make God's priorities my priorities. Not only is it a wisdom marked by humility, but it's a wisdom that is actually a gift from God given through the giving of his Holy Spirit to us. Look what Paul says at the very beginning of the book of Ephesians. This is his prayer for the saints. He says this in Ephesians chapter 1. I pray 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. See, we walk with wisdom when we walk by the Spirit. And when we walk by the Spirit, we follow his leading and we let him determine the priorities of our life. That's how we walk as wise people and not as unwise. But not only do we walk with wisdom, but we also walk with a mission in mind. Look at verse 16 making the most of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. See, we're called to make most of, or more literally translated, redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't tell us to find a a safe place and run and hide until Jesus Christ comes back for us. Honestly, that would be very easy. And if I'm being honest with you, it's a, it's a thought that has entered my mind many times over these past few months. That it, is it time to run? Is it time to, to go somewhere else and hide? And on top of that, for those who are our parents, the, the concern for our children comes up. What are we going to raise them in? But the Lord wants us to know that all of this isn't a surprise, that he's given us our children for this very time, that perhaps he's called them to be raised up in the Lord so he can use them to advance his kingdom. Nothing surprises the Lord. He's given us our children to be stewards of them in this very time. So we don't run and hide, but what does Paul tell us to do? To actively redeem the time to redemptively participate in the culture around us, all for the glory of God. Now, how do we do that? You might be asking, well, I'm, I'm so glad that you've asked. Here's three simple and practical ways that we can redeem the time. First of all, study and seek to obey God's word. We cannot participate redemptively in the culture if we don't know what God's will is as he's revealed to us in his word. Two, pray for opportunities and actually engage in God's mission. And then third, this might be surprising, but enjoy and rest in God's good gifts. See, the the chapter leading up to where we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is, is telling us how the culture have used and abused God's good gifts. But as those who have been redeemed saints in the Lord, we're not called to keep ourselves from those things. It's not asceticism, but to to enjoy his good gifts in the boundaries that he's laid out. So good food. Enjoy the company of people, music, friends, creation. Enjoy your work. Did you know that God gave work before the fall? Work is to be enjoyed Enjoy God's good gifts to you. As we do those things, we're actually redeeming the time. But God tells us, not only do we walk with a mission to redeem the time, we walk with wisdom. So walking rightly before the Lord means that we walk with wisdom and with purpose. We walk with wisdom and a mission in mind. But for all of that, to actually do that well, we need to remember, again, our big takeaway 
The Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary for the Christian walk. That we cannot do all of this without him. And so Paul goes on, he's described what it means to walk before the Lord, but now he wants to tell us how we can actually pay careful attention to how we walk. Look at verse 17. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We pay careful attention to our walk, first of all, by understanding the Lord's will. We pay careful attention to how we walk by understanding the Lord's will. So the question that should be entering our minds right now is, what is the Lord's will? Well, Paul doesn't leave us without this. He actually tells us right at the beginning of his letter. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. He, meaning God the Father, has made known to us the mystery of his will. You want to know God's will? It's right here in these verses. According to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time. Are you ready for it? Here's the plan. Here's his will. To bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. This is God's big plan. This is his ultimate redemptive plan to bring all things together in Christ Jesus. See, that's the big picture of what God's will is. But the call that Paul makes to us in chapter 5 to understand what the Lord's will is means that we need to take that big picture and then apply it to our day-to-day life. But that's hard. How do we take God's big picture and apply it to our day-to-day life? If we're honest, that's going to be very hard. It's like me with football. See, I understand the big picture. I understand that you need to score to win, but that's pretty much where my knowledge ends. But Pastor Marvin, being a good friend, has taken it on himself to teach me a little bit about it. So now I know things like there's, you know, 10 yards and four downs, but again, that's, that's where my knowledge ends. But in the same way, God has not left us to ourselves to figure this out, but he has given us a helper. Remember our big takeaway, the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary for the Christian walk. The Father has sent us his spirit to help us understand God's big plan and apply it to our day-to-day life. And he's the best helper we could ever hope for. You want to know why? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. That's why he's the best helper. If we're going to know how God's will applies to our day-to-day life, we need to know the one who knows the heart of God. That's why we should pray like the psalmist. In Psalm 143, he says this, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me on level ground. 
when we ask the Spirit to help us to understand the Lord's will, and then we actually actively put and apply those things to our day-to-day life, we can trust that the Spirit will lead us on level ground. And the Spirit loves to do that. That's what the Scriptures call walking by the Spirit. Well, Paul goes on. Look at verse 18. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. We pay careful attention to our walk, this is our second point, by being filled with the Holy Spirit. By being filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Paul starts off by giving us a picture of a person who is drunk, and because of their drunkenness, they have no control over themselves. It's like the disciples and Jesus in the boat in the middle of a storm. They're being tossed to and fro by the waves. They have no control over what is happening. Paul says that when someone lives like this with no self-control, it leads to reckless living. Or another way to put it, it leads to wasteful living. See, this is a picture of our lives before Jesus saves us. That we were under the influence of our passions and the things that we pursued after and had no self-control and it led to reckless and wasteful living. But now as believers, we are called to, what, remember, make most of the time. That's the complete opposite of reckless and wasteful living. So how do we live like that? How do we make most of the time? Well, remember our big takeaway. The Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary for the Christian walk. That's why Paul says right in verse um, 18, be filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. See, this is an ongoing and present reality in the life of the believer. Another way to translate it is be being filled or be filled continually. It should be a thing that we're seeking after. It's the present ongoing reality in the life of a believer. But what does Paul mean by this? We aren't told to be filled because the Holy Spirit leaves his residence in our hearts. See, one thing we need to get right before we properly understand this, what Paul is telling us here is the truths of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Spirit is given as a gift to all believers without exception. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Spirit residing within them. There's no such thing. Second, the Spirit is given at the moment of salvation. So Pastor Marv went into this a little last week, but the Spirit is given at the very moment of salvation. You can look up all these references as well. And then finally, for us, the Spirit indwells believers permanently. He's not leaving the residence in our hearts. So what Paul means by being filled isn't because there's a a leak in the temple of our hearts, but because it's a already and not yet tension of the gospel. There's so many tensions like this throughout the Bible, already and not yet. Here's a list compiled by David Briones of of tensions in the, the biblical narrative of things that are true for us but yet not completely fulfilled. 
We're already adopted in Christ, and there's a reference there, but not yet adopted. We're already redeemed in Christ, but not yet fully redeemed. We're already sanctified in Christ. Pastor Marv went through that positional sanctification, but not yet finally sanctified. We're already saved in Christ, but not yet saved. This is the the grammar that's used in the Bible of you have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. There's a, a tension there. We're already raised with Christ, but not yet fully raised. And it's the same with the Spirit. We are already full. Look at what Paul says. In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. When you believed in the gospel, you were filled and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We're already filled. But there's a not yet. Not yet full. And that's why Paul makes this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width, the height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's already and not yet. Until we reach glory, we do not have the fullness yet. And so that's why Paul says, be filled. Until you reach glory, you need more of his help. And so the question that should be coming into all of our minds is, well, how do we get filled? The command is clear, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, simply one of the ways is by gathering together physically singing songs to one another and worshiping the Lord. You don't believe me? Look at verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. God is telling us that the regular weekly gathering of the saints to sing and to make music, to worship the Lord is one of the ways that God imparts his spirit and the spirit ministers powerfully and fills the saints. Well, what does this mean for us then? Well, one thing, when we're able to gather again in person, you need to come. When we're able to gather together in person again, you need to come. And when you do come, you need to sing and sing loudly. See, when we're able to come and we don't come, we're actually forfeiting one of the ways that God says that he fills us by his Holy Spirit. That we're actually missing out on being filled by the Holy Spirit. Not only do we forfeit one of the blessings, but we're withholding blessing from one another. Here's the thing. We need one another. It's not just about Pastor Marv and and the worship team. They're not the only ones who minister. But when we come together, we're ministering to one another. And that's one of the ways that the Spirit fills our hearts and causes the fullness of God to dwell within us. And this happens primarily in the the weekly gathering of the saints, but it can happen also when we gather in the scattered forms throughout the week. Every time we come, 
with the attitude that it's about one another, with the attitude of building and edifying one another up in the Lord. I don't want you to miss what Paul says. There's a lot in this verse, and so we're unpacking a lot of it. I don't want you to miss what he says. Look, there's two audiences when we gather together. Look at the end of verse 19, with your heart to the Lord. See, God is the ultimate recipient of worship from the heart. But look at, look at the other audience. It's, it's at the beginning of verse 18. Oh, sorry, verse 19, speaking to one another. But it's also when we gather together, it's not just the Lord who's the ultimate recipient of our songs, but it's to one another. There's a second audience. I love a number of weeks ago when we were able to actually gather in person. God has so richly blessed the worship team here at our church and so many great leaders. There was a song that Jermaine was leading, Made Away, and, and he said this while we were actually all together in person, and he said this, you're ministering to someone right now. You're speaking truth to someone right now, and he was encouraging us as we were gathered together with that truth, and it's not that he came up with that in his mind. It's right here in the text. We're ministering to one another. See, the common idea that the, the, the pinnacle of Christian and New Testament worship is just me and the Lord is absent from the New Testament. See, the heart of New Testament worship maintains that God is the ultimate recipient, but it recognizes that when we gather, we gather as a covenant community. And when we gather, we don't gather as individuals, but as a group longing to be built up. And see, that's why what we're doing right now isn't enough. That's why we long to be back together in person. That's why we long to, to come in the larger gathering so we can sing to one another because you can't do that on a screen. How are you gonna sing to one another over a screen? There's a, there's a ministry of one another's that are spread all throughout the New Testament that we cannot do over a screen. And that's why we long to come together. But the call for us here is that when we do gather, when we're able to gather and when we come together and we sing, come with that attitude. Remember that it's about building one another up in the Lord. Another thing I don't want you to miss, look at verse 19 again, speaking to one another, it's right here, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. See, when Paul writes this, he has a lot in mind, and I want to unpack a little bit of this for you. When he's talking about psalms, he has a primarily a Jewish audience in mind. When he tells us to sing psalms, he's literally meaning the, the book that flips right open when you go to the middle of your Bible, the, the psalms. They, they were to be sung, but the hymns were primarily a, a form of songs known to the Greek audience, and then songs were, were known by both. And the controlling adjective, instead of it just being spiritual songs, it's an adjective that controls all three nouns, spiritual, which means spirit-inspired. The Holy Spirit's in those songs. And what does this mean? Well, it's multicultural and musical expression. 
There's, there's music from the Jewish culture, music from the Greek culture. The two main cultures of the New Testament church were being expressed together in their gatherings. But also multiple forms of expression. The psalms are different than the hymns. The hymns are different than the songs. Multiple forms were embraced. Well, what does this mean for our approach in musical worship? A couple things. The main filter for the songs that we sing have to be that, spirit-inspired. The question you need to ask is, is it accurate to the scriptures? See, there was a song that we sang right when we started as a church, and Pastor Yogi wisely looked at it and said, you know, that's not accurate. So we, we tossed the song out. Because that needs to be the thing that controls the songs we sing, not, not, not how it sounds, not how artistic it is, but is it accurate to what the Bible says who God is and who we are and how we should respond to him. But also, an embracing of songs from multiple cultures. That's why we sing not just contemporary music, not just gospel music, not just hymns, but we seek to embrace those cultures because that's what we see in this text. But we also want to embrace different forms of expression. So like spoken word, creeds and confessions. We sing scripture reading, all these different forms in our worship. Why? Because how does this help our church? Here's how it helps our church when we do those things. Our worship then teaches us about God. When we pick songs that are true to the scriptures, then it teaches us about God. We want to know right things about who our God is. Second, our worship helps us embrace the grace of God shown to multiple cultures. God has worked mightily beyond cultures beyond just ours. And so we want to embrace the grace that he has shown to different cultures and to display those things so that we can learn. Finally, our worship instructs us in fresh ways through new forms. When we hear songs in, or, or when we include different forms in the way we worship, we're, we're encountering God's truth in fresh and new ways that we wouldn't if we, if we stuck to the routine. Even simply doing the same song in a new way sometimes helps us to hear truths that we've ignored because of familiarity with that song. And so there's ways that all of this helps us as a church. And then Paul says, this mutual instruction that happens when we're singing together, when we're gathering together physically in the regular rhythm of the church is only one of the ways that God fills us with the Spirit. He goes on, look at verse 20. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, as God's people commit to constant and consistent gratitude, God imparts his spirit to us in greater measure. Now don't miss what Paul has said. Giving thanks always and for everything that's that's easy that's easier said than done see it's very easy to do that in good times and for good things but how are we to give thanks always for everything in bad times and for bad things well brian chapel tells us this and he puts it 
incredibly well. We give thanks this way, to the extent that tragedy makes us dependent on the Lord and enables others to seek his comfort and seek his eternal promises. For those things we can give thanks. As stars shine brighter in the desert and a diamond is more beautiful on black velvet, so the name of our Savior, his glory, his honor, his redemption, shines more brightly and intensely in the darkness of this world. We give thanks even for the darkness that makes the glory of Christ's name more evident. The thanksgiving, however, is not for the horrors of a fallen world. We're not giving thanks for those bad things. We're giving thanks for the name of the Savior that alone can answer and redeem these horrors. So as we give thanks, the Spirit fills us with greater measure. And then when we have the Spirit filling us more fully, we have even more strength to do the things that he calls us to do. So as we give thanks in hard times, the Spirit fills us more and then we have the strength to continue to remain faithful and steadfast even in the hardest of times. Paul doesn't want us to miss, again, the big takeaway for us. The Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary for the Christian walk. Well, Paul goes on. Look at verse 21 submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. The final way Paul tells us that the Spirit is imparted to us in greater measure so that the saints are filled with the fullness of God is through self-denial and a concern for one another. See, that's what Paul means when he says, submit to one another. And so we do that. We submit to one another, but why? We submit to one another not only because it's one of the ways that the Spirit dwells in us more richly, but because of, look at verse 21, the way it ends. In the fear of Christ. In the fear of Christ. We are able to deny ourselves for the benefit of one another First, by recognizing who is truly in charge. The language that Paul uses here is that of of soldiers submitting to those in higher command. The one who's at the very top is King Jesus. He is Lord over all of us. And so when we recognize who is truly in charge, we're able to more freely submit to one another because we answer to the one who is king over us. But not only that, we also submit to one another because it's a way that we follow the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was the truly spirit-filled man. There was never a moment in his walk where he did not submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so if we want to be those who are filled with the Spirit, it's wise of us to look at the example of the one who lived every day led by the Spirit and look at the example that he sets for us. Mark 10. Jesus called them over, his disciples, and he said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. 
But it's not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. And he gives us the reason. Here's the example of Christ. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus sets the example for us of selfless sacrifice to one another. Not only does he serve his people, but he lays down his life for us so that we could live. And then he's raised to life and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and together with the Father sends his spirit to us. Why? Again, our big takeaway, I'm repeating it often because that's what I want you to go home with. The Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary for the Christian walk. See, we've been transformed because we have a new identity in Christ. But we haven't been left to ourselves, but we've been given a helper in the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit helps us then to live consistently with that reality. And so we're able to do these things. We're able to walk before the Lord in a way that delights and pleases Him. That's what Paul calls for us earlier in chapter 5. He says this in chapter 5, verse 10, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. We're able to do that. We can please the Lord, live a life that honors Him, live a life that that respects and loves one another, the other saints when we gather together and lives a life that shines like light in the darkness for the witness of the gospel, all because of the Holy Spirit who is our helper. Again, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary for the Christian walk. I hope you were convinced of that, that we need Him that we need a greater dependence on the Spirit and His ministry in our lives. Because when we do so, we can honor the Lord. We can love one another and be lights in the darkness. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these past number of weeks where we've been able to spend time looking at your word and how it speaks about the spirit. And we're reminded today that that the spirit is absolutely necessary for our Christian walk. So would you grow in us a greater dependence upon you? that we'd recognize the way that you minister in our lives and and your power at work in us. So as we sing even this closing song, would we do so in light of what we've just heard? It's not just me and the Lord, but it's a call to others to, to magnify the Lord with me. That this is a moment, even though we're, we're apart, it's a moment for us to minister to one another, to call one another to magnify the Lord with me.
So help us to sing. And as we do so, as you've promised, even in the the passage we've just read, fill us again with your spirit. We thank you for your word. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.